Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blasts from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we are rewinding back to October the 19th, 2010. It's interesting. Yesterday we rewound to October 19th, 2009. So we're about one year ahead of where we yesterday were yesterday. Uh, this was episode 534 and it was called Prep, Save Men Money, or Enjoy Life. And I think you'll find that the theme that I kind of cast through this whole episode was yes. Prep, yes. Save money, yes. Enjoy life, yes. But there is some level of like, okay, you figure out like life is not like the movies and you figure things are not quite going the way that you expected that they would be in the world and that you do realize that you are in a completely exposed state. So you have to take some, you know, pretty massive action in a year or two or three to get yourself somewhat prepared as an individual. And then it goes to more of a maintenance and ongoing and tweaking mode. Uh, this episode, again, uh, was October 29, 2010. That was 2,561 days ago, or seven years, four days in the past. We sat down and did this one the first time together. Uh, what I'd kind of like you to pay attention to in this episode is the, the underlying current, the underlying tone to this. What we end up doing is we go through personal goals so that we can figure out how do I allocate my money and my time and my resources appropriately so that I don't fall behind and yet I can still enjoy my life. Time to debt freedom. Time forward and self-reliance. How much of that do we need? What our percentage of self-sufficiency is and what we want it to be. Where you will go if you have to leave your home. How you want your daily life to be. What you need for basic comfort. What you need to be truly happy. What level of physical security do you desire? What level of financial security do you desire? And how much redundancy do you want? These are the questions we just have to ask ourselves to formulate a plan. It's actually not difficult at all. It's actually really easy to formulate this plan. But there are some reasons people won't ask the questions. Those include they require you to be 100% responsible for yourself. The answers are subject to your self-imposed limitations. We've been conditioned to think focusing on what we want is selfish. The resulting answers require massive action. We all have a desire to fit in on some level, even I do. And your plan is going to require some sacrifice for some period of time to get what you really want. And we'll talk about how you can make it happen. But it's that first one. They require you to be 100% responsible for yourself. This is the number one thing that holds people back in America. It's not even an unwillingness to take responsibility when it becomes self-evident that you have to. Most people actually do that or they'd be dead. They get, you, know, you wouldn't be responsible at all. You'd be hit by a car long ago. But we don't like looking that in the face. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've done one version of this or the other from many different aspects and angles. I got an email from somebody that says, I really needed to hear that, thank you. I really needed to hear that, thank you. And what I mean by that is when we say, we take just one of the things, like what is our timeline to debt freedom, to where we're no longer 
living on a credit card. And everything except maybe the house is paid for. And we don't, we're never going to go back down that road of student loan debt and credit card debt ever again, and we're free. What's the timeline look like to get there? The reason people are afraid to do it is, number one, they don't like the answer. It's like being fat and being afraid to set up stuff on the scale because you, you don't want to know how many pounds you got to lose to be healthy again. But you got to lose them whether you look at it or not, and you're just going to stay there longer if you don't. And that's how the debt freedom question works. But the, the analysis, if I do X, Y, and Z, it will take me four years to be out of debt. That's not good enough. So I have to do X, Y, Z, and A. And that'll take me two years. And that's going to suck, but that's reasonable, and that's what I'm going to do. It is the admission that the problem is your problem, that it's your own damn fault, and that the only person that can fix it is you. And that is something we have been conditioned in modern society to avoid at all costs because the flat reality is it hurts. It hurts. It doesn't hurt like you don't bleed from it, right? But any anybody that's lived any kind of meaningful life knows that some of the most painful experiences have nothing to do with bruising or bleeding or broken bones. Internally, we can hurt a great deal when confronted with a reality like the death of a loved one or the imminent death of a loved one. If we lose someone in a terminal illness, we have time to watch them go. It's, it's incredibly painful. And it doesn't hurt that bad to say to yourself, self, all this shit's my fault, but it hurts pretty bad. It, it actually it doesn't hurt that bad at all, but like many things, it's the anticipation of the pain in the subconscious that prevents it. What I mean by think about when you're a little kid. And you're going to go to the doctor and get a shot. Oh, my God, I'm going to get a shot. I don't want to get a shot. I don't want to go to the doctor. I don't want to go. And, you know, if, if, if your parents were stupid and told you, like, a week before, and you had a week to build that up in your head, my God, by the time they drug you to the doctor to get your freaking shot, the doctor was going to be seven foot eight inches tall. The needle was going to look like a screwdriver in diameter. There were going to be 75 gnomes holding you down, chanting your name while they shoved it in your face. And then you get to the doctor, I don't want to get to the, up, oh, done. That hurt a little bit, right? And the, that's the human mind. And every, Every person that's ever been successful writing horror movies or suspense novels or something like that knows that the mind actually makes things worse than they are. Well, we have a belief in our minds that that's only in the front of our mind, up where it's obvious. We do that shit on the subconscious level as well. And that's why... When you want someone to sit down and figure out their time to debt freedom, they don't want to do it. They just, they don't just not want to know the number. They don't want to have the comfort that, well, maybe someone will fix it for me. Or maybe it's not really my fault. Or just everybody's in debt. So they don't want to have that comfort taken away and experience that discomfort, that emotional pain and that flat out realization. I did this to myself and only I can fix it. And you'll see that in everything we talk about today. That the reason people don't sit down and evaluate the things that are basically adult life skills is because it requires you to take that personal responsibility. Think about that as we go through today's show, which again, we first recorded 2,561 days ago. Originally episode 
534, prep, save money, or enjoy life? And remember, the answer to that question is, yep, let's make it happen. Jack Spirigo with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas, today with episode 534. It's October 19th. It's Tuesday. And we are here to talk about something kind of um, not universal today. I think everybody that listens to this show is going to identify with these questions that we're going to kind of dig in deep and examine today and it'll be a little bit different than what we've I don't think we've ever really done a show like this and I keep trying to find fresh and new material so that it's not a repeat of something you heard a year ago even if they, I do that once in a while because come on I mean I'm going to do this five days a week and there's new material and new information that I gain on certain aspects and new thoughts and new things that come in from the audience but I do try to keep you know some amount of brand new topics we've never gone into before and today we're going to do that because we're going to Examine the line between where do I prep, where do I you know stop buying preps and start just saving some money, and when do I just have fun? When do I just blow some money once in a while, and and how do I determine this for myself? All right, let's get into the main topic of today's show. And as I was saying, I mean, here's an example of some like summary versions of the questions I get, and I get a lot of these. I'd say there's probably not a day goes by that I don't get some version thereof of one of these in the email questions. When do I stop prepping for a while and simply save some of our money? You know, when do I just start putting money back in the 401k or, or just saving it in the bank or in the mattress or whatever? Uh, when have I invested enough into prepping and should just start blowing some of my money once in a while? I mean, it's, it's okay to go out and, and have a big pizza once in a while or, or take the kids to a park or go to a movie or buy something nice just because I want it, right? Uh, I also get questions along that are really in the same vein that are like, How do I stay positive in the face of all the problems that are headed our way? And that's really the crux and the core of these two questions, uh, the first two questions. It really starts to strip off the paint. Because here, this is what I've learned over the years of doing the show. A lot of times people ask a question, and they're not really asking the question they state. There's a deeper question that they either cannot yet articulate, don't realize is what they're really asking, or just aren't comfortable going to that depth, so they ask a surface-level question, hoping they'll get some insight without exposing themselves. Because what they're saying is, is there hope in spite of the danger? Is it okay to have some dadgone fun in spite of the fact that some bad things might be coming? And is there a such thing as, you know, a maintenance mode as a prepper? Is there a point where I've got everything kind of set up, and I just kind of keep it the way it is? 
And the nice thing is, even though those are deeper questions that people might be afraid to ask, the answer to all three is yes, yes, and yes. It is okay to have some fun. And we should. It is okay to go into kind of a maintenance mode, to go, I've kind of accomplished what I want, and maybe I need to keep the garden going, and maybe when I use food for my preps, I need to replace them and put them on the back of the shelf. But at that point, you're living a life that, as far as your day-to-day activities, it looks a lot more like your neighbor's. Right, So I'm not going out and buying 50 cans of food. I go out and buy the same amount of food every week anybody else does. I'm just throwing it to the back and pulling off the front. Yes, there's the maintenance mode. And yes, there's hope in spite of danger. And, and we'll talk more about that. And uh, I have to pause the uh, recording a second. I'll tell you why when I come back. And you know, I could have just done that without telling you, but I like to let you guys know what's going on when I'm recording sometime. I've got um, a fleet of squirrels out in the, in the yard now, and they've decided to start uh, tearing up one of my container plantings full of, uh, of lettuce seedlings. So I sent Max and Blackie out to, uh, to go on squirrel patrol while I finish the rest of this, uh, this podcast. But what I was saying is, it's okay to have hope. It's okay to have hope. And there is hope. And, and there is a future for us. Because if we don't have hope, what are, we, what are we surviving for? What are we trying to accomplish? And I don't just mean hope of waking up and breathing them. I mean hope of having some quality in our lives, in spite of the fact that a lot of things may crumble around us. So what I want to do today is I want to get deep with this. This might be another show that goes a bit long, might be one you break up into two. Heard from some folks yesterday that don't like the listener call-in shows and don't look so. Maybe you listen to half of this on Friday or something. I don't know. Um, but this is a deep question, and doing it over two episodes won't really work. So might go a bit over an hour today. Uh, what I want to start out with, though, just to put everybody's mind in the right frame before we start asking some internal questions that give us answers for ourselves is some fundamentals that we do everything uh, based on here at the Survival Podcast. The first was a quick refresher on disaster commonality and disaster probability. Disaster commonality is a really simple concept. It is simply the fact that no matter what disaster occurs, you have the same needs and the same things that you do to prepare for one disaster is the same thing you do for another. You don't sit around and prep for a hurricane, prep for a tornado, prep for you know uh, economic collapse, prep for a pandemic. You prep to do without systems of support and to ensure that you have your five primary needs. Your five pri- primary needs are food, shelter, water, energy, and security. So, Everything we do is built around those five things. And based on us, we can get much more, you know, there's hour-long episodes on commonality that you can go look up from the past. Just type commonality into the search box on the site and go look up one of those episodes if you want to know more about it. There's, there's probably two or three that go deep into it. But it really comes down, that's the simplified version. If we can provide those five things for ourselves, we are as prepared as we can be to deal with any disaster, no matter what it is, if it doesn't instantly kill us or totally wipe out our base of operations. Anything that falls short of that, we're pretty well prepared for. Disaster probability is an understanding that the most likely disasters that we're going to face, and this is why we don't do stupid stuff, right? Like, oh, I'll just be in debt, and when the shit hits the fan, I won't pay it because no one will be around to collect it. Because we understand that the shit's going to hit the fan more likely for you than even for your neighbor. 
And disaster probability is based on area of impact. The greater the area of impact, the worse the disaster, but the lower the level of probability. So the odds of any individual losing a job or losing a spouse to death are much higher than the odds of their entire neighborhood being completely wiped out in a localized weather event. But the odds of the localized weather event wiping out your neighborhood are higher than terrorists detonating a nuclear bomb uh, sufficient to wipe out an entire urban area and spread fallout across miles and miles and miles. But the odds of that, right, are higher than a comet impacting the Earth with an almost extinction level event. You can fill in the spectrum anywhere you want. And it's not a perfect system. There are certain things that could be broader in scope that you might, if you ran the numbers, come out to a point where they're a little bit more probable than something that seems a little less of a scope. But, it, but overall, the system works. The more people affected by an individual disaster, the less likely it is to occur. And the impact factor is the more people affected, the greater the disaster actually has of an impact. All right. So just understand that as we go through today, because without that frame of reference, it's hard to get a grasp on this stuff. The next one we have to answer is, what is money and why do we have it? I think it's funny that so much of our life is based on money. We have jobs so we can earn money. We have a home that we have to use money to stay in. Even if we own it, we have some level of property tax. We have to heat it. We have to cool it. We have to buy food. Most of us are not fully 100% self-sufficient. So we have to rely on money for some aspect. We have to pay taxes. If we have any type of employment whatsoever, we can bet that money is the reason we have the employment. It all revolves around money. And yet, most people don't even know what money is. Now, I'm not going to go into the difference between currency and money the way that a gold bug would explain it. I'm not going to go into the Federal Reserve today. Don't have time for it. I'm not going to talk about fiat currency versus a commodity-backed currency or a public currency versus a privately controlled currency used by... None of that. I just want to... I mean, I don't care what kind of money it is. I don't care if it's stones used by an island culture with a hole drilled in them, gold and silver coin or U.S. dollars, or euros, or anything else out there that's ever existed ever as money, what is money really when it come, we come down to it? Money is nothing but a symbol of energy that's collectively agreed upon by a society to be taken in exchange for goods and services that require energy for production. That might sound complicated, but it's not. In other words, money is anything that you and I collectively agree to use as a unit of exchange. That is it, all right? But the reason I have to put the energy thing in there and make it sound like some kind of um, physics formula is because it really is. Because the only reason that we agree to it as a unit of exchange is because everything that's produced, that's exchanged, that money is used as a common exchange factor for, requires energy for production. In other words, if everybody's backyard had 10 apple trees in it, just everybody's yard, and it always rained enough everywhere to keep all the apple trees alive. You wouldn't be able to sell an apple to anybody. Why? Because the apple doesn't require any human energy input at all. Even picking them. I mean, it would be ridiculous. It would take more energy even out of your body, not mention your car, to go to the store to get an apple than to walk out in your yard and pick up an apple. Now, here's the thing. When could you sell apples? when they're out of season, if you imported them from another place where they were in season and everybody's stored apples were gone. 
But people would probably be so tired of eating apples when they are in season that you couldn't sell an apple anymore. In other words, for something to be exchanged in an economy, it has to require a level of input, a level of energy from some individual somewhere that the other individual either does not have the expertise to expend or does not wish to expend. So an example would be I might pay someone if I want a piece of jewelry to be a goldsmith and a jewel cutter for me to make a ring for my wife. Because even though I don't mind doing the work, I don't have the expertise. It requires a certain level of technological skill and art artistry. So I'll pay for that. So because it requires his input. All right. Another example that would be similar but different is if I had a thousand acres of grass that needed to be cut every year uh, as hay, and I did not have. Uh, a, There's no, and I had someone who would cut it for me at a cost that made so much sense that it didn't make sense to do it myself. I might choose to pay someone to do that, even if I had the equipment and the ability. Or I may pay somebody to do a part of it because I can't get it all in in time. Or it could be the lazy guy that just feels like, you know what, I don't want to cut my grass. So he pays a local person to come around once every week or two and cut their grass. And Folks, there's a time when I did it. I had a neighbor that ran a landscaping company, so he cut me a good deal of it in Pennsylvania. I had over an acre of grass, uh, even though I put in a lot of uh, gardening stuff and all like that. I still had a huge field that I was never going to get. You know, I wasn't into permaculture at the time. This was years and years ago. And uh, I did the math, and it would have took me like six years to pay for a tractor, plus the fuel, plus my time, to, because you only cut the grass up there like five months out of year. So I paid the guy to do it because I didn't want to. And I had the money. Without that input of energy, though, the whole system breaks down. The, the money actually represents energy. It represents human input. And even if it's a mechanical production system that's fully automated, humans had to set it up, and that expertise and that asset exists apart from you, so you are purchasing the output with a common means of exchange. If we don't understand that about money, we also don't understand the economy, we don't understand our future, we don't understand what we're really trying to do. The next thing is we have to say to ourselves, what is life really all about? What are we surviving for? I can tell you the meaning of life in general, but you will have to figure out the meaning of life for yourself. The meaning of life is nowhere near as complicated as any sage or mystic has tried to make it be. The meaning of life is education and entertainment. We are here to learn, and we are here to enjoy ourselves. And we can do that however we choose. If you're a deeply religious person, you can focus your joy and your education on spiritual things. If you are a deeply secular person, you can do the same thing. I know there's a conflict of belief systems there, and I know some people say it's not possible for the other one to be... You know what? Let the other person go. I'm, I'm talking to you as an, even though there's 15, 16,000 of you that are going to listen to this show in the next 72 hours after I put it out. I'm talking to you, the one person listening to me today, for your life based on your systems and your beliefs and what you want. And if you can learn and through education and you can entertain yourself and enjoy what you're doing, you will find the meaning in your own individual life. And if you're worried that someone else might do it differently, you're never going to get it right for yourself. You've got to let other people be. Because the, doing this for yourself 
is such a huge task, you don't have time to try to pull somebody out that's trying to do it for themselves. Now, you can help other people. That's not, I'm not saying you can't. You can go, you know, you can go in and read books to kids or, or, or teach your faith or whatever it is. But you have to do that with the people that are willing, not worry about the people that have got it sorted. They're just doing it different than you. You gotta let those people alone. And too many people worry about everybody else instead of themselves. And that's why they have a hard time going through what we're about to go through. I'm about to lead you through the answer to these questions. Do I prep, save money, or enjoy life? And the answer is you do all three. But how you do them for yourself is going to require some tough questions. They don't seem tough until you start answering them. So I believe that there is a group of questions or really goals that we have to set. And uh, in fact, you know, w without really planning it, when I put this together, it came out to ten goals. Or ten questions that would leave, lead us to ten goals. And the first one is really, what is my time to debt freedom? I, I always tell people to get debt free. Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Pay off your debt. And a lot of people take that as to be overwhelming. I'm 20 grand in debt. You know, and I, and I make $30,000 a year and the government takes a piece of that and I gotta pay for my bills and, a, and there's a reason I got into this debt because I didn't have enough money in the first place and even though I've stopped the, uh, the, the, the mistakes, now I've got very little to work with to get, fine. But what's your time to debt freedom? And, and, and this is a scary thing for some people, especially in the, in the situation I just described. Because here's what happens. You sit down and go, well, I can afford to pay the X amount over the minimum and it's not much. And you do the math and you work it out and you realize it's going to take you eight or nine or ten years. And then you say to yourself, well, that's not good enough. I got to do better. That's why you have to ask the question. That's why you have to do the math. That's why you have to put the plan in place. The minute you actually have the courage to face the horror of the number, you will make the number smaller. I don't care what you have to do. You will end up maybe for two years delivering pizzas three nights a week. And 100% of your tip money will be going into your pocket and then into the hands of the debt collector and you will get yourself out of debt. Or you will go live in a tent. Some people have done it. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying when you ask the question and get the number and realize how big a part of your life is going to be taken away by this. And when you do the math and realize how much freedom you'll have when it's gone, you will figure out what works for you. Because this is all about you today. It's not about me. How I chose to do it is my way. How you choose to do it is your way. But you've got to do the calculation. The calculation is everything. I just had a conversation with a guy on a talk I did, and he said, well, I've got enough money to pay off all my debt 100% right now tomorrow, but I'm not going to do it because then I don't have any cash. The debt's gone, but the bankers get their money, and I don't get mine. And my question was, but do you have a plan? Do you know the day you'll be free of debt? And I don't think he did. And if you don't know the day you're going to be free of debt, you're wrong. You're wrong for yourself. Now, notice the thing is the flexibility there is it can be any time you want it to be. If you're happy with a 10-year plan to get out of debt, fine. I bet you won't be. I bet you will not be happy. I bet even if, even if you start working it for like six months, you're going to change it. So I don't care what your timeline is, but have one. Know what it is and have a plan to get there. Have the whole debt freedom plan laid out in front of yourself. Ask the question, get the answer. The next one is also a time-based question, and it is, how long forward in time do I want the ability to be self-reliant? 
Self-reliance, self-sufficiency are different. We're talk self-sufficiency and uh, talk about self-sufficiency in the next goal. Self-reliance is not necessarily the ability to just exist on your own 100% and never rely on anybody or anything else. It's having a redundancy in place so that when something fails, you have a time level you can go forward. So if I have 60 days worth of food stored up, it's not self-sufficiency because I had to, if I had to get the food from somewhere else, if I bought the food, maybe some portion is purchased uh, or produced myself, and that's a self-sufficiency thing. But all the food that I went out and bought, purchased, long-term food storage, whatever, that's a self-reliance thing. I've used my money, exchanged it for somebody else's energy, and set up a system where for at least 60 days I'm going to eat. So you have to ask yourself, in all my walks of life, with the things that I need, food, water, shelter, energy, and security, how long forward do I feel comfortable having? Is it 60 days? Is it 30 days? Is it six months? Is it a year? This number is your number. You create this number for yourself. You create the plan around it for yourself. I don't do it for you. I don't tell you, if you don't have 60 days, you're wrong, or if you don't have six months, you're wrong, or do what I do. I'm up to nine months now. You need to be nine months too and be like me. These are nonsensical things. And unfortunately, a lot of people in our niche do this. And the, and the number they like to throw around is one year. I mean, like it's some kind of magical thing that one year makes it okay. I'll tell you this. One year would be a godsend in a situation that you need it. But in a period where you needed a year, you're going to need more than a year. If that makes any sense at all. All right? We ever get to a point where you really need to be 100% self-reliant for a year straight, drawing on your reserves for a year with no hope of anything else. You better have a lot of self-sufficiency going on too. Because you're not, if we get to that, we're going to get to a point where nothing's available. That's what that means. That means there's no commerce. That means the end of the world as we know it has happened. And if we look at our disaster probability, that's a long shot. So what we really need to look at is how long do I need to get back on my feet when something happens that affects me? 60 days, 90 days, what is it? And if it's a little bit bigger of a disaster, a little bit more of a, of a national threat or maybe even a global threat, how long do I need to be able to survive to feel comfortable in my own skin? And I'll tell you for me, it is about a year. I mean, it's it, it, just for kind of coming down on the people that say it, and then I turn around and say you that that's kind of the number that I'm working towards is a year of being able to be 100% on my own by having a year's worth of self-reliance stored up so I can be self-sufficient for a year, right? But it's up to you. You have to answer this question for yourself, and that builds your plan. And then that starts to answer questions like, when do I stop saving? Uh, when do I stop buying preps? When do I go into maintenance mode? All these other questions. Um, how do I feel hopeful about the future? But then the next question we have to ask is, what percentage of self-sufficiency do I want in my life? See, self-sufficiency means that whether times are good, times are bad, whether it's available or not, I don't need it. Right, So if I have a garden that grows 100% of all the green beans that I use during the year, and I don't want another green bean, I'm giving green beans away, at least in the green bean world, I have 100% self-sufficiency. But that maybe represents 1% self-sufficiency in my life. If I have enough solar and wind on my, my house to provide 50% of my energy usage, then I have 50% of self-sufficiency 
with my power needs, my energy needs. And it's important that we look at this one because it's, it's something that becomes overwhelming if we don't break it down to pieces parts. To be truly self-sufficient, 100% is difficult, if not impossible. And, and the bigger problem is even if you pull it off, generally it's not a way to live a really empowered, happy life. Uh, a 100% self-sufficient person might be somebody that was sitting on 100 acres of land that had all the livestock and food and water and everything they needed on that land. They don't even have to step foot off that land. They don't have to talk to anybody else. They don't need any other human companion. I mean, they don't need anything. And they can stay there for 20 years. If you can't stay there 20 years, you're not self-sufficient. You're self-reliant because you've stocked up, right? Self-sufficiency comes in percentages because self-sufficiency is about how little do you depend on others today. And the more you, you build the percentage of self-sufficiency, the more you create a, I take the excess by choice. In other words, I have enough energy production to do everything I need to do in my home. I can cook, I, I can have lighting, I can have a TV set, I can have everything that I want, except because of energy uh, requirements, I, I can't run an air conditioner. I'm asking too much at that point. I can cook with wood or, or what have you or, you know, and use that as a heating source, but I can't pull off the cooling. Just can't do it. So I have to buy energy for the cooling. But that's my choice. I could be hot and sweaty if I had to be. I just choose not to be. So we have to define for ourselves how self-sufficient do we want to be. Is it 20%? Is it 30%? Is it 35%? And you can't just throw a random number at this. You have to actually sit down and think about this. You have to sit down and do kind of a reverse engineering and go, what are all the things I'm dependent on? What are the easy ones to eliminate dependence on? What are the, the kind of middle ground ones, the ones I can get to eventually? What are the really hard ones that I never really want to get there unless I have to? What are the ones I want to make a by-choice consumption? And what are the ones that I'm happy to pay for? Or I'm happy to get from someone else. Or I'm happy to barter for or whatever it is. You have to come up with that number for yourself. The next thing you have to know, and you have to know this, if I have to leave where I live, where will I go? Because you can be as brave as you want to be in your head and say, if I have to fight to defend my home, I'll fight to defend my home. Well, you can't defend your home against forest fire. Okay? You can't defend your home against a giant rock falls out of outer space and crushes it flat to the ground. You can't, you can't defend yourself if you live in a highly densely populated area and there's a pandemic that's running rampant and killing people. You can't defend your house from a detonated nuclear device or a biological chemical device. Okay, I could, I could keep going. You can't defend your house from a tornado. You can, you can, you know, try to defend your house. You build a house where you're not going to get a flood. My point is no matter what you do, there's always a potential that something could happen that would make you have to leave. You have got to have a fallback location planned. That doesn't mean you have to own a second property. It's not a bad thing to do if you have the means and the, you're at the place in life where you can make it happen. I think it's a noble goal for anyone. But you do have to have a plan. Even if it's you and your Uncle Herschel, and the two of you talk, and you guys live far enough apart to make each other's location a fallback location. you got to have a plan to get out if you have to get out. Without that, everything else falls apart. It really does. You have to have a plan to get out with as much as you can carry with you. You have to be realistic about what you're going to have to leave behind because it's more than you think it is, which is why eventually if it works out, I am so big on having a place that you actually own that you can get away to, a fallback location, a bug-out location that you own because you can stock it 
so that there's something there when you get there, so that you can go with very little if you have to. I was asked one time, how is it possible that you could get your family out of your house in an hour? Because we have a place to go that's prepared. Without that, there's no way we could pull it off. With any really long-term self-reliance, we could go, but we're not going to have a lot. I mean, even with two large trucks, you're only going to take so much with you. And in a real disaster, the more you take, the bigger target you may become. You might have to jump early. You have to have a plan for these things. So you get that in place, at least you know where you'll go if you have to leave. And it can be a simple plan or it can be a complex one. But it has to be within your means. And if having a well-prepared, well-stocked secondary location is out of your means, then figure out what is in your means and do it. The next thing is, you have to ask yourself, and this is, this is where we start to really answer the questions being asked, how do you want your daily life to be? You know, what, what would you do if you didn't have to do what you're required to do now? But I mean by that, you don't have to go to work. I, I just wave the magic wand, poof, and whatever your salary is, I'm not going to give you a $10 million, the $10 million question. If I give you $10 million, you can go anywhere and do anything you want, what would you do? Because it's a little bit, it's a good soul-searching question, but it's a little bit unrealistic. All I'm going to say is whatever your salary is, I just raised it by 25% and you don't have to work anymore. Every week or every other week or however you've been getting paid now, you'll go out to your mailbox, you'll pull it open, there'll be a check in there from Jackco, right? And it'll be for 25% more than you've been earning. And you don't have to work ever again for the rest of your life. And that income is going to come in for the rest of your life. Or at least till you retire, and then you'll retire the at, at 65, whatever, you know, your Social Security keeps getting paid. I hope that's going to be there, right? And you can put money in a 401k. You can use it to save for retirement. You can do whatever you want with the income, but you don't have to work anymore. And now you can live exactly the way you want to live, at least within those means. Because I believe that most people could live that way now, even with 25% less income, if they simplify, reduce debt, and do the right smart things in their life. Because here's the point. If your life isn't the way that you want it, what are the hell are you preparing for? I don't understand how miserable people are preppers. I don't get it. I don't understand how miserable people are survivalists. I don't get it. And there's a lot of them out there. I've talked to them. Everything's falling apart. There's no way we're ever going to make it. Uh, the whole world's going to end. The end times are coming. The, the UN is going to march and blue-helmeted guys are going to take away our houses or whatever it is. And there's no hope, but I'm going to prep. See, I, to me, that's not good enough. It doesn't mean that I don't acknowledge certain dangers that are out there and certain threats that are out there to our existence and our way of life. Indeed, I want to fight them. But at the same time, if I don't know what I'm fighting for, how can I really fight? I'm just a mumbling, miserable person without that knowledge. So I have to know, when I get up in the morning, what do I most want to be able to do first? When I go to bed at night, what do I want to have accomplished in that day before I go to bed? And this is not a task list at the office in your little cell called a cubicle or on the assembly line or wherever because you don't have to do it anymore because I took it away when you're answering this question. Some of you work in machine shops, and the answer to this question would be, I'd like a great big shed in my backyard with a whole bunch of machines just like I have at work, and I'd like to build and make and create and do things just like I do at work, but under my terms, on my timeline, and I want to build what I want to build. Fine. I don't care what it is. But dare to define it. Have the courage to define If you won't define it, 
Life will define you. I said this in a recent podcast. Every day, ships leave shores, leave ports, and they head across thousands of miles of ocean with all kinds of dangers in the way. And, you know, other than a shipwreck, 99.99999% of modern ships, when they leave a port, they get to the destination just as planned because they know where they're going and they monitor their progress. You have to do the same thing with your daily life. You have to define what I want my life to be like. And if that sounds motivational speaker or Anthony Robbins or anything like that, I'm sorry. It really isn't, though. It's a fundamental human fact of life. If you don't define for yourself what you want, life will give you pretty much the opposite of what you want. That's just how it works. You don't want to be in a 9-to-5 dead-end job, but you don't define what you do want. You know what you end up with? A 9-to-5 dead-end job. You don't want to be stuck in suburbia, but you don't define exactly what you want. You say, I'd like to have a nice piece of land somewhere, but you don't be specific. You know, you end up with stuck in suburbia. Because if the, if what you're trying to build isn't real enough for you, you won't make the sacrifices necessary to get it. You have to be able to almost feel whatever it is. And I don't want to start describing these things because that's my vision of what I want. Your vision of what you want could be a thousand times different. But you have to define how you want your daily life to be. You also have to ask yourself a pretty simple question if you'll be honest with yourself. What do I need to be comfortable? What will make me comfortable if, if all things kind of fall apart around me and I don't want to be really, really happy? What's my baseline for comfort? You know, because your baseline for comfort is probably not living in the wilderness, sleeping on the cold ground. Some people like it. If you like it, fine. I think that even the people I know that are good at those wilderness skills look forward to getting home after they've been out there long enough. There's a point where being wet and cold makes oneself miserable. So what, are, what is my basic requirements for comfort? How much food do I need a day? What type of shelter do I require? What type of temperature control? Now, this is not to be happy. That's next. This is a basic comfort. It's something I can endure. Something I can tolerate. It's not quite what I want, but at least I can get by with it. Here's the good news. You're probably living damn close to that way right now. <laughs> If you're like most Americans, that's where you're at. You're living where you're comfortable. And you probably have a few things that you think make you happy, but they really don't. And they, they would make you miserable if they were gone, but you really wouldn't know why. So the next question helps us clarify this, and that is, what do I need to be happy, to be truly happy? What things do I have to have? What resources do I have to have? What types of food do I have to have? What type of contact with other people do I have to have? What level of security do I have to have? What level of redundancy? Some of these are questions we're going to get to that keep going there. But you have to start asking them in regard to the fact that what will actually make me a happy, fulfilled individual? And you'll find that there's it's easy to define what will give you comfort, and it's more difficult to define what will give you happiness. But the second one, the happiness, is more important. Because it leads us to creating the daily life we want now, so we can live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. See how it all fits together. You have to ask yourself, what would make you truly happy? And, and I'm going to caution you, it's okay to, to dream big, as the, as the motivational speaker types say, but it probably isn't sailing around the world 365 days a year on a giant cruise ship where somebody takes care of every need and want you have. 
That would probably become a very shallow existence very quickly. Human beings thrive on stress and challenge as long as it's good stress and good challenge. If we didn't, nobody would play video games. Nobody would do Sudoku. Nobody would do word puzzles. Nobody would tackle complex physics problems and try to build the next great propulsion system. Because the people that do that, folks, the wicked smart guys that can sit down and plan on how to build the next rocket, a rocket that can go faster than the last rocket, they're not in it for money. They might derive income from it, but that's not why they're doing it. It's the challenge. See, and if we don't have that challenge in our life, we're never going to be truly happy. That's why so many people find happiness with what looks like, you know, kicking back on a retirement farm. Because it's not really, you're not to the end. Every day I'm tweaking something, I'm working on something, I'm trying to get this plant to grow that's not supposed to grow in my area, or dealing with this pest infestation, or I'm trying to figure out how to improve my watering efficiency, or whatever it is. Or the person that retires and they go fishing every day. Don't think that person that's fishing every day is just throwing a line in there, drinking a beer and watching the sunset. You know, what pattern are the fish on today? What bait is going to work best today? If they're not where they were yesterday, where did they go to? Why did they get there? See, the human mind is designed to solve problems. That's what we do. That's why we're the most dominant species on the planet. Some for good and some for ill. But that's why we are, because we are the only creature that we know of that works that way. Now, there's creatures that will solve a bit of a problem, you know, a monkey looks at a termite mound, eats some of the termites off the outside of the mound, figures out, hey, well, I stick a stick in there. The termites will get on it, and I can pull them out and eat them off the stick. And he uses a basic tool. But that's not real problem solving. Because real problem solving is seeing the problem before it faces you. This is what no other creature other than humans does. We envision the problem, or we identify the problem that no one sees as a problem. Think about the first person that made a TV and transmitted video across the air. An invisible stream that went from one place to another and allowed a person to look and see what was going on in another location. What problem did that really solve? That people were sitting around going, man, I wish we could get this fixed. See, somebody had to create that vision first to even think that, hey, we could do this. Same thing with radio. The same thing with a microwave oven. Do you really think in 1960 a lot of people were sitting around going, man, five minutes to, to boil a hot dog on the stove. I sure wish I could get it done in 30 seconds. Someone had to identify that there was even a potential for improvement. Without that, we're not going to be happy. So that has to be part of your happiness. Not just the stuff you'll have, but what you're going to do. The next thing you have to ask yourself is what level of physical security do you desire? Some people want rock-solid physical security. Man, they want a fortress. They want guns and ammo, and they want you know uh, a secluded location, and they want a, a fence around it, and a, a bomb shelter underneath the house, and they want it all. Fine. Okay, that's what you want. Some people just simply want basic security. Know how to handle themselves, have a plan if something happens and goes wrong, Maybe have a, something simple and boring like a, a security system or a burglar alarm. Maybe carry a weapon, maybe not. I mean, it's all up to you, but you have to define for yourself. What level of physical security do you need so that you can go on and live your life the way you want to without constantly worrying that someone's going to come and harm you? Now, some of this is 
fixable with security, and some of this has to be fixed in your head. There are so many people among us that walk around with a defeatist attitude that it just it's, it drives me insane. I can't buy a house because they'll take it away. I don't really own it because I have to pay tax on it. Wah, freaking wah! You know? Freaking wah! If that's you, sh- God! Pull your head out of your ass. I'm sorry to be that blunt. But you've got to stop this crap. You know, if I hold my cash, it'll get devalued. If I buy gold, it might go down. If I pay off debt, then I, I lose because now I'm saving to inflation. And on and on and on and on. And I just feel like, shut up! Really? Oh my God! You have to fix that internally. You start to have to have enough courage and an attitude of, when something's mine, I'll fight to keep it. But then there's a reality that if someone walks up to you and clubs you over the back of the head and you're not looking, you could be dead. So you do have to put some level of physical security in place. But the, the num, you know, how much that is is up to you. You also have to say what level of financial security do you desire? I have a great friend, a really great friend, very wealthy individual trying to become more wealthy. And he's a great guy. He's probably one of the best friends that I have in the world. But his level of what he wants from financial security and mine are completely different from each other. He keeps trying to pull me back into my old world of business. And he wants me to, you know, you have such a great business mind. And I'll offer you some equity in one of my companies. And, and we could do some things together. And you don't even have to work that much. But I just want access to, to, to your consulting and, and all these other things. And it's not that it's not a great opportunity. It's not that he's not a great guy. It's not that I don't 100% trust him. I don't want it. I don't want it. Those of you that think I'm making a mint on this thing here, the survival podcast thing, no way. Pays the bills, that's it. But that's what I want. I want something that I own that I control that pays the bills, and that's it. That's what makes me happy. That's where I stop. For some people, it's never going to be enough. They want more. They want more. They want more. Some people do it to a level of obsession that's unhealthy. But some people, they do know where the end is. If you say, well, what, not, what, what amount of money, if you get to be worth that, you'll quit this pursuit of more. And they'll be able to say, it's $5 million. It's $2 million. It's $800,000. With a certain lifestyle built around it. With a certain no, no need for cash. right, Or minimal need to actually draw against it. For some people, it's 10 or $20 million, Whatever it is. You have to define this for yourself. And this isn't the way that the financial services companies like, what's your number? Call your advisor and find out what your number for your, this is your number for now. Not when you're 65 and probably, you know, on your way to death. Right? You gotta live your life for today on some level. And you gotta build that financial security for today. The last one is how much redundancy do you want in all this? You could set your life up with everything you want, but everything that you want is only one tick away from falling off of that. So generally you need to build up some level of cushion underneath it. And it can't all be done with money, because if we have certain failures, money won't replace certain things. So we might have a generator, but maybe we need two. Two is one and one is none, etc. So that, I'm going to just leave it at that. You do have to ask yourself, how much redundancy in your system do you want? 
And I, I want to kind of, as we're getting ready to start kind of taking a turn and, and, and get toward the end of today's show, kind of change gears now. And I want to talk to you about the reason most people won't ask these questions. Because I know there's a lot of people out there that sat there and nodded your head over and over and over again today already. And you're thinking, yeah, that's the stuff to ask. That's what the stuff to do. But then you're going to sit down and you're not going to do it. So we have to examine why people won't. Because here's the thing about fear. When we take away the unknown, fear goes away. So we go into the dark room and it's scary. There's noises and everything. We turn the light on, all of a sudden the room's not scary anymore because I know what the noises are now and I can say there's nothing actually in here. So we have to shine a light on fear. So we have to shine a light on the... And it's unfortunate that it's not quite as simple as I just described because some of the things that people fear are real in this. They're just not dangerous. They're not really scary. But people are uncomfortable with them, Right? So the first one is, if you ask all these questions and start to build a plan off of it and start to decide where do I prep, where do I save money, and when do I enjoy life, you answer those three questions by going through these goals, they require you to be 100% responsible for yourself, including your failures. So when you say, I want to be sufficient so that I can survive on my own for 30 days, if you end up needing 60, you don't get to cry to your mama. You get to figure out how to deal with that 30-day shortfall on your own because you made the choice. That doesn't mean your choice was even wrong. It just means it didn't work out quite the way you had planned. If you say to yourself, my plan is to be out of debt in two years, and you do the math and you figure out it's possible, and then somewhere along the way you fall back, you go out and charge something you shouldn't have charged, or you don't make an p- extra payment that month or whatever, and at two years you still are looking at debt, you're responsible for it. We, we don't like that as individuals. We should. We should thrive on it. And we do once we get... It's like jumping in the pool where the water feels really cold when you stick your toe in. And you jump in and there's that initial shock. But once you're in it, you're like, oh, this is really nice. Right? That's exactly what this is like. Being 100% responsible for your decision sounds scary. Even the grown men that already think they are, but they realize where they're slacking and they start to want to tighten that up. And then it starts to be like, huh. But once you jump into it, it's the most incredible experience in the world. And all of a sudden, you start looking for You're like, you, instead of fearing it, you start looking for it, like with a hatred. Like, where am I not responsible? Where am I passing the buck? Like, you're going to hunt it down and kill it. And that's the attitude you need. you got to jump in the pool. And people are afraid of that initial cold water shock. They're afraid of that initial 100% responsibility. But it only lasts for a couple seconds. It's a mental decision. You can make it right now if you want to. The next one is, the answers are subject to your self-imposed limitations. It makes it hard to ask a question like, what do I want my daily life to be like, and what would make me completely happy if I'm going to sit there and every time I start to dream, pull my dream back because I can't do that. Well, I'd like 40 acres, but I can't afford it. Well, first of all, now we need to ask, why do I want 40 acres? What do I actually want from the 40 acres? Maybe I don't need 40 acres. Maybe I haven't done enough examination. Or maybe I do need the 40 acres for what I really want. Then I need to ask, well, how can I make that happen? And I have to get around my self-imposed limitations. Because let me tell you something. However limited you think you are, you are not. There are people out there with far more limitations than you that have done more than you and me put together. Because they chose to. So you have to put aside self-imposed limitations, and most people aren't comfortable with that either. The next one is, we have been conditioned by society to think that focusing on what we want is selfish. 
You don't get what you want, Johnny. That's selfish. You have to share. <laughs> you know, maybe there's a time for that. Maybe there's a point in a young person's life when they're just a kid and they don't understand the grand scope of things and they get a little bit too turned inward. But most Americans don't have a problem with focusing on themselves because they focus on what they want. They have a problem with focusing on themselves because they focus on what they don't want and they focus on their problems and they focus on their excuses. Yes, they're self-centered, but if they were self-centered about these are the things that I want and here's how I'm going to make it happen, they would create a better society for everybody including themselves. But instead they focus on this is what I don't like about my life, this is what sucks about my life, this is why I'm stuck here and this is why somebody else is at fault for it because they're not responsible for themselves. At least not 100%. Even if they pay the bills, even if they raise a nice family, even if they're still not 100% responsible, because as long as you're saying so-and-so this, or so-and-so that, or that greedy bastard over there, or, oh my God, can you did you see what they did today? Well, if it's just genuine outrage, that's fine. But you know that's not the case for most people. And I'm guilty of it, and I guarantee you, you as an individual listening to me today are probably guilty of it too. And you have to catch yourself backsliding when you do it. When you're like, man, if they would just quit doing this, everything would be better. No, 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 can't do that. Can't do that anymore. Grown up now. You know? So we have to get off of this concept that to be self-focused is selfish. To be self-centered is highly selfish. To be self-focused simply means there are certain things in this life that I want. And people say, well, if you focus on what you want, then you'll hurt other people to get there. Not if you don't want to hurt other people. If it worries you, you won't. So you won't step on top of people to get success if you don't want to step on top of people to get success. Well, what if everybody did this? What a great freaking world we would live in. Because most people don't want to step all over people. What happens is people see people that got to success, right, by stepping on people, the 10% of society that will do it, And they think that everybody that gets there did it that way. It's just not the way it is. And then the other thing is they focus on the fact that this person's successful without even opening their eyes or their mind to the fact that they would be absolutely miserable in that person's shoes. That that would not be success for them. They measure the success based on money. Money being nothing but a commonly agreed upon symbol for energy. That's not what to base your success on, folks. It might be a means to it in certain areas. But when it really comes down to it, that is not what to keep score with. It really isn't. If you do it, you're not going to get any answers to any of these questions. The next one is the, the, the answers you do get require massive action. They require massive, massive decision making. They require you to act. If you start asking a question like, how do I create a life like I want to live? And you ask that every day, your mind is going to switch on and it won't go off, and you know it in your heart. That's why it's hard to ask the question. That's why it's hard to start answering it. It's easy to do it as a dream. It's, well, if everything was perfect, then I would... Because that's easy to, to, to just kind of dismiss as a really nice movie that went on in your mind. But when you ask it with a, with, a, with a sense of urgency, with a sense of requirement, what do I do to make this happen? You start getting answers, and some of those answers require you to stop doing things that you've become comfortable doing. People don't realize how institutionalized they become, how quickly they become institutionalized, even in their own lives. What I mean by that is I remember when we were in army, in the Army in basic training, and 
all we wanted was basic training to be over and to go to AIT where there was a little bit more freedom. But after eight weeks of living a certain way, there was even a little apprehension. In me, I'm a guy that embraces change. And even in me, there was some apprehension about what's this next step going to be like. You know, and then you get through AIT and, and got through jump school. And, and I was like, I want to go to my first permanent party place. You know, where, I, where I'm going to have my job and be there. And I got orders to go to Panama after, after the Gulf War. And I thought, this is great. This is awesome. I, I Panama, you know, they have this thing called a dream sheet in the Army you put down. And they call it a dream sheet because it never happens. Your choices, your first three choices of domestic duty and your, your first three choices of overseas duty. And my number one choice for overseas duty was Panama. Never happens. Guess what? Go to Panama. Even then. What's this going to be like? This is going to be different. This is not going to be as controlled and structured, and I'm going to have to step up and prove that I've learned from all my schooling, and I'm going to have to fit in with a new... See? Now, the problem is we do that with the TV shows that we watch. We come to a comfort that every you know Thursday night we watch something on TV, or a certain place that we go to eat, or a certain place that we go visit, or something like that. And some of these things are good. Some level of routine is good in your life. It creates some level of stability. But when you start taking action, you realize some of them have to be given up. It's uncomfortable. Sometimes there's sacrifice. It's uncomfortable. The next one, if we all have a desire to fit in on some level, even me, I am, you know, kind of a jerk sometimes, and I really don't give a damn if you don't like me, even, even now. Even that my, my, my livelihood is dependent upon not offending too many of my listeners on a daily basis. But if you really don't like me, go somewhere else. Part of me feels like that's why I'm a success. But then I do have some level of a desire to fit in, right? I have some level of respect for other people. So if I'm in a certain social situation, I'll behave a little bit differently because I've chosen to go into that social situation. These are all good, common human traits. Make us decent people that have respect for others. But what happens is we have such a desire to fit in that we limit ourselves. Can't do that. Next one, your plan is going to require sacrifice for some period of time. Not just change, sacrifice. You're genuinely going to have to give some things up to get to a point where you've prepped enough, saved enough, and enjoyed enough that you know what you want, and you can go forward with some level of self-reliance and percentage of self-sufficiency. It's not going to be simple. right? In fact, it will be simple. It just won't be easy. Simple means you can do it, that anybody can do it. And it is simple. Easy means there's no sacrifice required. It ain't easy. There will be sacrifices. And we've been conditioned, on one hand, to believe that if we focus on ourselves, we're selfish, but to believe we shouldn't have to sacrifice. See, the problem is that most conventional wisdom doesn't even stand up to itself. Conventional wisdom. In, in this day and age, man, we should be able to get by without too much sacrifice. But to focus on ourselves is selfish. This is common belief system of the average American, the average person all around the world in modern societies believes this. Those two don't even stand up against each other. How the hell can they stand up to real life? Why do you think we live such miserable existences for most people? Why do you think most people spend the majority of the best years of their life doing something they don't want to do? Because they're basing their entire ethics system their entire internal system, their entire life on, on, on statements and on common beliefs that don't even stand up to themselves. Of course they're miserable. It's incongruent. It can't happen. It can't work. So you're going to have to sacrifice. So those are the reasons. These, again, just go through them real quick. 
The reasons most people won't set the goals and ask the questions that lead to the goals, they require you to be 100% responsible. The, ans the answers are subject to your self-imposed limitations. You've been conditioned to believe that focusing on what you want is selfish. The resulting answers require you to take action. You have a desire to fit in on some level, and at some level it's too much of a desire to fit in. You have to be independent for yourself. And your plan will, is going to require you to make sacrifices. And that's it. That's the main reason people don't get answers to the questions we started out with. Because they don't examine these questions. Or they've started to, and they're a little bit intimidated. But let me wrap up with telling you why you need to do it and how you can make it happen. Well, let me tell you what. This is why you can make it happen. Because in the end, you get to make the decisions. You get to make every decision that really counts for your life. Now, you might end up in some bad situations where now you have to make a decision about uh, something that you really don't want to do. You might have to sacrifice and do it. But you get to decide how you respond to that. And in most instances, not all, there are, there are true times when people are victimized for a period of time. But you can't live like a victim. And once the, the attack is over, you're not a victim anymore. Now you have to just like go back to living your life. I'm sorry you fell off the bike and skinned your knee. Right? I'm sorry somebody ran out and punched you in the face. I'm sorry that you broke your leg. I'm sorry that you're in a wheelchair. Right? But, but you can't live for the rest of your life if it's going to have any meaning with those things as crutches or, or crippling effects to your psychology. Even if your body's crippled, there's no reason for your mind to be crippled when it comes to making decisions for yourself. You make the decisions. And that alone is enough. But the next one is, if you listen to this show, you're asking most of these questions already. Maybe you're not articulating them the same way. Maybe you're not putting them into some kind of a concrete formula like we did today. But if you weren't asking, what do I really want? You wouldn't listen to the Survival Podcast. If you did, you'd listen once, and when you didn't hear about the New World Order trying to take over planet Earth, and we have to fight them in our bunkers, you'd quit listening. And that happens every day. People that come here expecting that don't get that, and they go somewhere else. I'm not saying anything wrong, there's anything bad about them. I'm just saying that's not what they're, that's not their thing. They don't want to ask themselves questions. They don't want 100% responsibility. They still want to defer blame to somebody else. You're here, and that means you have the courage to ask the questions. You looked at the title today and decided this was a show to listen to. Right? And you have something in your life you're trying to improve because that's why you would gravitate towards something that says helping you live a better life. Regardless of what happens. So I know that you as an individual, because you're still here, you're still listening today, because I didn't make you angry enough to turn the recorder off or the, the player off yet. I know that you have the courage to ask the questions. The next one is, it ain't as hard as they make it out to be. Whoever they are, right? I remember somebody asked Willie Nelson one time, Willie, what would you do if they said you couldn't make music anymore? And his response was, if I could figure out who they were, I would have killed them a long time ago. And that's how you have to kind of feel. And you have to also understand something. Who are they? The people that say, oh, living this way is foolish. You know, staying out of debt, that's foolish. Thinking that you could actually get to a point where you don't have to be employed in a job anymore, unless you're going to go out and build a great big business and take a small business loan and all that other stuff, that's foolish. You know, you need a job. Go to college. Everybody should go to college. Who are they? They that set all these rules of conformity. They're the people that benefit by you conforming. 
Whenever you're getting advice from somebody, ask yourself one simple question. Do they directly benefit through the advice they're giving me? And that doesn't always mean it's bad advice. You know, if you came to me and said, Jack, I'm thinking about joining your members brigade, and I don't want to do it just as a charity for the show, I want a return of my investment, I would say, well, do you buy food? Do you buy storage food? Yes, okay. Do you buy herbals? Yes, okay. Do you want to read ebooks about all these different things about prepping? Yes. Okay, then uh, my advice is join. Now, I directly benefit, but I, I, I benefit because I qualified the fact that you would benefit back. It's a solid recommendation. If you do all these things, it's going to pay itself back. So not every time somebody gives you advice on something where they benefit, but you better ask, <laughs> how do I benefit? If they benefit by their advice, how do I benefit by their advice? And when you're not sure how you benefit, but you can really see how they benefit, go get advice from somebody else. Now, if somebody that doesn't benefit gives you the exact same advice, maybe it's good advice, but it still might not be. They might be brainwashed, too. Your Uncle Tom might tell you, hey, you know what, dude? Yeah, Johnny, you got to go to college. Does he know what your aptitude is, what you want in life? I mean, if the person who's making this recommendation is knowledgeable in the area, knows your aptitude, knows your desires, knows your dreams, actually paid attention to it, then maybe the recommendation to go to college is great. Maybe it's a terrible recommendation if they don't know those things, though. And that's just one example. There are so many things that they say, that society says we have to conform to, and when they say these things, they're saying, well, you can't have it your way. It ain't as hard as they make it out to be. It's okay to not conform. It's okay to live life on your own terms. You might be a hell of a lot happier if you did it. That's why I know you can make it happen. Because it ain't as hard as they say. In fact, when I broke away from what they said, everything got easier. It didn't mean it didn't require more sacrifice initially. But it got easier to do. Right? And what I mean by easier to do is I was more willing to do it. I was more willing to do things. I looked forward to doing them, even if they were hard, technically. Because it's what I really wanted. It ain't as hard as they say, folks. And the last one is we do not have to be prepared for the end. If you're preparing for the end of the world, stop. When the world ends, you're gone. Okay? You know? If the world is going to end, actually end, that by the definition of end, we're not here anymore. It's over. Right? And the people that believe in the end times theory, the, the biblical end times theory, that God's going to come back and fix everything, and everything's going to be just fine, great. I'm not putting your belief down in any way, shape, or form. I'll just tell you this. No one knows the time, save the Father. That was Jesus' words. And I'm not preaching at you. I'm giving you text from your own book if you believe this. And that means if Jesus don't know, you don't know. The guy on TV, the televangelist with the gold watch, he doesn't know either. The guy that wrote the last book saying it's going to be tomorrow, he doesn't know either. You better plan for the interim, because you've got a lot of life to live. And it ain't happened yet, and it probably ain't going to happen tomorrow. So we don't have to prepare for the end. You know what we have to prepare for? Change and fluctuation. That's all we have to prepare for as preppers, for things to change. Societies have crumbled. And in the midst of that crumbling society, some people went on with their lives as though nothing went wrong. 
People lived in bombed out buildings and just went forward. And as long as the bomb didn't land on their head and kill them, they went forward. And if it lands on your head and kills you, it's over anyway. Your troubles are over. So the big deal is we don't have to prepare for the end. We just have to prepare for change. And that's great news because we're the most adaptable species that we know of. I'm not saying there won't be hard times, there won't be tough times. I'm not saying that some of us won't fail. Even I could fail. No, no doubt about that. In fact, there's some of you that are probably less likely to fail than me. That's okay. I'm prepared for change. I'll live the best damn life I can, whether the change comes or whether it doesn't. In fact, I'll put it to you this way. I'm going to live the best life I can no matter what change comes because change is a constant. There will always be fluxes. There will always be changes. There will always need to be adaptations. But through all of it, I'm going to live life on my own terms. I suggest you do the same thing. So how do you answer the question, you know, do I prep? Do I save money? Do I enjoy life? The answer is you do all three. And what you allocate them is based on the plan that we helped you put together today. That's what it's really all about. What do you want? You know, how long do you want to wait before you're free of debt? You know, how long ahead in time do you want to be self-reliant? How long do you want to be able to go with no systems of support? What percentage of your life do you want to be self-sufficient in? If you have to go, you have to leave, where would you go? Define it, know it. How do you want your daily life to be? What do you need for comfort? What do you need for happiness? What level of physical security do you desire? What level of financial security do you desire? And how much redundancy do you want? You answer those questions, and you put together a plan to get there, and a time frame to get there in, and you take the surplus and you blow it. If it's a big surplus, you have a lot of fun. If it's a little surplus, you have less fun for a while, because as the plan nears completion, or as segments of the plan near completion, you reallocate. And whether you're below the poverty level or upper middle class, the timeline is really the same. It really is. Because it all comes down to decisions, choices, and allocations. And you'll find that for a lot of people, they're making far more money than people that are living the way they claim they would like to live. You just have to ask yourself, what obstruction is really in the way? Is it self-imposed or is it real? Most of the time it's self-imposed and it's a phantom. So just deny it. Get rid of it. And with that, I think I'll wrap up today. I hope this show's been helpful. I hope it actually answers the questions. I hope it leads you to a plan for yourself. I hope it clarifies what I mean when I say, in the end, no one has more effect on your own life than you. I know it might have seemed a little bit like a lecture at times today, but a lecture is where somebody tells you what you need to do. Where I tried to tell you today what you needed to ask yourself so you could tell yourself what you needed to do. And God, I wish we were teaching this to our children in schools. God, I wish we were teaching this to our fellow Americans from coast to coast. I wish instead of people asking, well, how can we, how can the government fix this? We'd start asking, how can I fix myself? I wish everybody that blamed the Democrats for everything and everybody that blamed the Republicans for everything would just shut up for a day and ask these questions to themselves and start to realize the illusion that we're living in self-imposed limitations and the lie sold to us constantly day to day over and over again and we happily accept the lie and we choose a side and we fight a battle that isn't even real and we ignore the internal battle that actually is worth fighting and worth winning 
And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. There's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Yeah.